Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Well, a few weeks ago, some of you may remember that um, I had a couple of our youth push uh, a shopping cart into the sanctuary down the center aisle. Um, You don't need to turn around. There's nothing coming down the aisle right now. Uh, But we are going to uh, stick on this grocery store theme this morning. Uh, And I'm going to ask, have you ever had this experience? You're shopping in the grocery store and um, you've got some item that you're going to buy and Let's say it's a, a loaf of bread, and you, you reach up on the shelf to buy it, and that's when you see that the little sticker that's below it where it says the price, it also says limit three per customer. You seen that before? And you only plan to buy one loaf of bread. You only need one. But suddenly you think, maybe I should get one more just in case. This is the premise of a a behavioral economic study that happened a few years back. But instead of bread, they used soup. For the control group, they tracked how many cans of soup the average customer bought when there was no limit, and the average was 3.3 cans of soup. Then they added a limit, a limit of four cans per customer. And you can guess what happened, right? It went up a little bit. The average went to 3.7 cans of soup purchased per customer. And they tried one more. They said, what if we put a limit of 12 cans of soup per customer? You may be shocked to learn that the average customer bought seven cans of soup when there was a limit of 12. Nothing else about the soup changed. Not the price, not the label, nothing. Only the perception of how many each person could have. This is a phenomenon known to sociologists as scarcity bias. And um, it's the reason why we couldn't find toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic. And it's the reason why in a few short weeks, people will be lined up outside of stores at 6 a.m. elbowing each other to rush in on Black Friday and buy a television. While it may have particular expressions in our modern economy today, scarcity bias isn't new. In fact, we see evidence of it in our Holy Scripture. A few generations of Israelites before Moses and the story that Jen read from Exodus this morning, the idea of economic scarcity was introduced when the Egyptian pharaoh began to position his empire to take advantage of a famine. As biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann put it, for the first time in the Bible, someone says, there's not enough. Let's get everything. Examples of scarcity bias abound in the New Testament also. If you turn to Luke 12, for example, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man who has more than he knows what to do with. And so he decides that he'll tear down his barns and build bigger ones so that he can fit all of his grain And he can find security by hoarding it. And if you know your Bible, you know that those stories don't end well for the Pharaoh or for the rich man. 
So we can see that scarcity bias was a theological problem that Jesus, Jesus was dealing with long before us and that his Jewish ancestors were dealing with, with long before him. And you could even say that God has been dealing with it since the dawn of humanity. But our scripture doesn't affirm those who think in scarcity. It doesn't imply that they're being prudent or good stewards of what they have. It counters the narrative of scarcity with one of unimaginable abundance. So how do we counter scarcity with abundance? Well, first let's go back to that story from Exodus 16. And the Israelites, remember, have recently left behind their life of slavery in Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness towards this promised land, but they don't know where they're going exactly or when they'll get there. And they say to Moses, you've brought us out into the desert to starve to death. As Kate said to the kids, it sounds a little hangry, right? But really, they're afraid. They're worried that there simply isn't enough for everyone. And so how does God respond? God says, I'm going to rain down bread from the sky. And sure enough, the next morning, they wake up, and there it is. They find this bread-like stuff on the ground, and they say, Manu, Manu. This is where we get the word manna. Manu in the Hebrew means, what is it? And this mysterious bread sustains them day after day, month after month, year after year. Now let's turn to our gospel story from John. Um, and uh, if you look, if you crane your neck, or if you're sitting in the back, the second to last stained glass window on this side, on the north side of the sanctuary, uh, is from this story of John 6 uh, and the feeding of the multitudes. You can go look at it after, after worship today. Um, this time it's the disciples who are thinking in terms of scarcity. They remind Jesus that feeding a crowd this size would surely stretch them beyond their credit limit. It's just impossible. And then a little boy comes up with five loaves of bread and two fish. But even then, the disciples, they're still stuck in scarcity. They say, what good is this for a crowd this size? But Jesus, as usual, reframes the scene for them. He takes their fear of not enough and he turns it upside down. He takes those five loaves and those two fish and he turns it into enough. He eases the white-knuckled, clenched-up knot of scarcity that fills them until it gives way to an unforced joy that comes from a deep sense of relief that there is enough. Now, whether or not you take these Bible stories as history or metaphor is up to you. Exactly how we might wonder bread rained down from heaven or five loaves and two fish fed thousands of people. But to be honest, it doesn't really matter to me. The point of the story in John 6 is not that Jesus has divine magical powers to multiply food. And the manna story makes clear that abundance doesn't mean that people can have as much as they want, only as much as they need. I personally do consider these stories to be miracles. But for me at least, the miracle 
isn't that God can snap God's fingers and suddenly magically make more. For me, these miracles are rooted in the power of cultivating a collective concept of abundance. So how? How do we do that today? Well, it turns out that learning to cultivate that communal spirit of abundance has a lot to do with cultivating something else, corn. Every year at a county fair in a rural part of the country, surrounded by nothing but farms, there's a corn contest. That is a friendly but serious competition among farmers to see who can grow the best corn. The judges evaluate their corn based on color and texture and flavor, and whoever wins first prize gets a few hundred dollars. But that isn't the real prize, is it? The real prize is pride, wearing the badge of honor as the best farmer in this county. Now, when the competition first started, a different farmer won every year. That is, until a farmer named Aaron entered the competition. Year after year, Aaron took home first prize. He slowly became an agrarian legend among the chain of farming communities around this county. And after a decade of corn-cultivating dominance, a newspaper reporter traveled to his farm to ask his secret to growing this prize-winning corn. And he responded with a single word, sharing. Sharing. She wasn't sure what he meant. What do you mean by sharing, the reporter asked him. He said, before every growing season, I take my best seed the seed of my prize-winning corn, and I share it with all my neighbors so that they can plant it in their fields too. It didn't make any sense. She asked him again, how could sharing your secret weapon possibly help you win? And after a few moments of quiet, the old farmer looked at her and said, you know, when the wind blows around here, it can carry pollen from ripening corn for miles. It swirls all over the place from field to field. If my neighbors grow bad corn, it ends up in my field, cross-pollinating with my good corn, and then eventually it's all just mediocre corn. And so I guess you could say that if I want to grow good corn, then I need to help my neighbors grow it too. Aaron teaches us something about the practical side of generosity. And also that interdependence and cooperation lead to abundance. He understands that he has something that he can give to his neighbors that will help them do better. Neighbors do better, he does better, and we all do better. The story of the Israelites and their manna reminds us if, that if we only use what we need, then there is enough. And the story of the boy with five loaves and two fish reminds us that if we share what we can, then there is enough. And so on this Gratitude Sunday, as we give thanks to God for all the gifts we've been given, I invite each and every one of us, myself included, to consider what we really need, what we can share, 
and then to trust that our generosity will multiply into God's great abundance. As we turn to our litany of abundance and we affirm God's abundance, I'd like to invite up a couple members of our stewardship committee who are going to help lead our litany. Uh, And even though it says that you need to stand, you can remain seated for this litany out there. Uh, But you do have a a responsive part. Uh, Whenever you hear God of abundance, you give us what we need, you'll respond. There is enough. Hallelujah. Jim and Ann, you join Jen and Lindsay at the table. We'll begin our litany. When the Israelites wandered in the wilderness and thought they'd starve to death, suddenly manna appeared. God of abundance, you give us what we need. There There is is enough. enough. Hallelujah. When a drought came and the brook dried up, God sent Elijah to Zarephath, where a widow fed him from what little she had left. God of abundance, you give us what we need. There There is is enough. enough. Alleluia. When the wine ran out at a wedding in Cana, Jesus turned the water into wine. God of abundance, you give us what we need. There There is is enough. enough. Alleluia. When the crowds were hungry, Jesus turned a few loaves of bread into a bounty that filled everyone with leftovers to spare. God of abundance, you give us what we need. There There is is enough. enough. Alleluia. When the empire tried to take away the people's hope on the cross, God rolled away a stone to reveal that our hope can never be extinguished. God of abundance, you give us what we need. There There is is enough. Alleluia. Already God's reign is present as a ferment in the world, stirring that hope in all people. Our hope is stirred by the abundance of spiritual wisdom and formation that goes deep into the roots of this faith community. For the children who are upstairs in wee time learning to love God, for the youth who gather here to grow and serve, for the parents who nurture them along their faith journey, and for the adults who pray and study and worship and teach one another, we give you thanks, O God, God of abundance. You give us what we need. There There is is enough. enough. Alleluia. Our hope is stirred by the abundance of this space and the people within it. For the vitality of the preschoolers running around the co-op downstairs every morning. For the ministry groups and committees who gather within these walls and on Zoom. For this sanctuary, which provides us a holy place to seek you out. And for the faithful, dedicated staff of this church. We give you thanks, O God. God of abundance, you give us what we need. There, there is, is enough. Alleluia. Our hope is stirred by the abundance of care and compassion shared among the people of this community for the phone calls, postcards, and visits to one another, for the flowers and the food delivered to each other's homes, for the stories and laughter that fill Anderson Hall and our dining hall, when we gather as one body with one spirit, we give you thanks, O oh God. God of abundance, you do give us what we need. There, there is, is enough. enough. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Our hope is stirred by the abundance of our relationships with our neighbors near and far, or our connection to local partners like Lutheran Metropolitan Ministries and Greater Cleveland Congregations, or our long-standing and budding relationships with other faith communities like Mount Zion and Fairmount Temple, and for the covenant with our dear siblings in Batay 105, we give you thanks, O God. God of abundance, you give us what we need. There, there is, is enough. Hallelujah. As we take in the abundance of these gifts, we say thank you, God. But our gratitude goes beyond words. It's the kind of gratitude that moves us to generous and faithful action. It may not feel like we have much to offer in response to the magnitude of the gifts you've given us. God, but we offer what we can, and then we trust in the power of your abundance. We plant seeds that will one day grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. What we can offer on our own isn't enough, but it's a beginning a step along the way, an opportunity for your grace to enter, O God, and do the rest. We are prophets of a future, not our own. To God be the glory, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. God of abundance, you give us what we need. There is enough. Hallelujah. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.